How did this happen, you might ask. Sit back, my friend, and let me tell you this chilling tale. It all started with a con consoling hangout session with my old friend Cam, who was going through a hard time. He asked me, do you know anything about rashes or hives? And I examined the red bumps on his arm. Cam was in the process of separating from his wife. He was holed up in a tiny ramshackle studio in San Francisco's Tenderloin District, subletted from a central masseuse named Ilsa he found on Craigslist. All her stuff lived there, her massage oil-scented life crammed into the walk-in closet whose door he never opened. I examined the inflamed red bumps in his arm and suggested it might be stress-related. Still, I made sure not to brush arms with him, just in case. Weeks, or maybe a month later, we had just consummated the end of our just friendship, upgraded to include benefits. As I drifted off to sleep on his sad bachelor's futon, a feeling of itchiness overcame me. I assumed it was an allergic reaction to the detergent he washed his sheets with. I've got to go, I said, and I tried to assure him I wasn't being squirrely. This wasn't me being relationship-phobic, although it's true I was. I just couldn't stand the itch. Call me, he said, and I agreed I would. I began to track up to my apartment in Lower Knob Hill, wondering if I should have slept with my friend and thinking probably not. <clears throat> Ten days later, the itch was still there. I would scratched so much that there were giant welts forming on my arms and legs. I haven't been able to sleep, I complained. I miss you too. <laughs> That's not what I meant, I said. And please stop talking to me like I'm your girlfriend. I'm sorry, he said. I don't want to scare you off because I know that we are meant to be together. <laughs> we compared rashes. Mine looked pretty different from his, but it seemed like too much of a coincidence. Cam had gone to a number of dermatologists, but no one seemed to know what was going on. The last doctor suggested it might be scabies into the biopsy. Terrified of what insecticide would do to my sensitive skin that couldn't handle detergent, I scheduled a dermatologist appointment for myself. Let me know what they say, Cam said, sounding a little scared. Bites, <laughs> said the youthful Chinese doctor. You're getting bitten by something. Are you sure it's not scabies, I said? Quite sure, he said, noting that my belly button was clear and free of bites and that the navel is a mite's favorite place to roost. He prescribed some cream and recommended Claritin, and I went on my way. As I exited the building, I phoned Cam to report the prognosis, but before I could get into it, he said, I found a bug under a futon. He described a strange kind of insect, a tick-like creature that moved too slow to save itself. When he squished it, the bug exploded with what was clearly his blood. A bit of internet research came up with photos of bed bugs, which I emailed him. What do you think, I asked. Is this the culprit? I don't know, he said. The color was different. That day, Cam received a visit from the exterminator, a tall guy named Jeffrey. Sure enough, bed bugs abounded. Cam told me, when he opened the door to the walk-in closet, at first I thought the wall was painted black, but then I noticed it was moving. <laughs> An entire colony infested Ilsa's dresser, and clearly it had been there for a while. 
Generations of bugs had made a home of it. A large bug ambled by, and the exterminator popped it dead with his flashlight. Blood splattered everywhere. Jeffrey said, Yep, that's your blood. <laughs> Bed bugs live in dark spaces and are from behind their covers, <laughs> like in between the pages of books. In any nook and cranny they can put themselves into, they emerge from these spaces to feed at night. They're hard to kill, <laughs> as they're tough to find, and they aren't very susceptible to poison. They've got to eat it to die from it, and their exoskeletons keep them protected. Jeffrey sprayed everything, including the trim above the walls, which proceeded to bleed like something in a horror film. Jeffrey said, that's your blood right there, <laughs> and your feces. Elsa came home from wherever she was and threw out everything she owned, clothes, books, furniture. Han got the hell out of there and moved into a weekly hotel right around the corner from me. Throughout all this, I still wasn't sure if I had bed bugs. After all, it's pretty rare for them to travel in clothes. Usually they transport by infested furniture items. Don't pick up that mattress on the street. <laughs> I scoured my apartment for telltale signs of the bug, but found nothing. No droppings, no molded exoskeletons, no blood on my sheets. But my bites kept getting worse. Each bite would puff up my whole appendage with painful, itchy redness and swollen glands, and I had almost a dozen bites all over my body. My friends suggested it might be fleas or mosquitoes, so I closed my windows and checked my cat for fleas, but the closed windows made the summer heat intolerable, as well as my itching. Oh God, the itching. I couldn't help it. I called him. Hey, I said, what are you doing? Missing you, he said. <laughs> Want to come over? One night, I found something. A little soft, beetle-like bug on my pillow that I instinctively smushed. It smushed easily, and I came away with a spot of blood on my hand. Freaked out, I moved to my couch to sleep, but just as I was drifting off, I felt something pierce the skin of my side. I swatted at whatever it was and came away with a handful of my own blood. I called my landlord. Please send me an exterminator as soon as is humanly possible, I pleaded the truth answering machine. I hadn't slept well in more than a week, plus I was horrified beyond belief. I read about how these bugs work, that they feed on a person for four to seven minutes at a time. The thought of these creatures piercing my skin for seven minute stretches triggered my needle phobia. Each time I start drifting off to sleep, I jolt back awake, full of adrenaline and fear. This would not do. When the exterminator came, it became clear that this was the same guy, Jeffrey, who diagnosed Cam's problem. He didn't seem particularly optimistic about exterminating these bugs. He found one, just one, an adolescent bug dead in my closet. Teenage suicide. Don't do it. <laughs> I locked my cat in the kitchen for the next five hours as Jeffrey sprayed poison all over my furniture and walls. He told me, It'll take a couple weeks before they die off. If you don't notice your bites going down by then, give me a call. I should come back in a few weeks anyway to respray for hatchings. <laughs> then maybe a few weeks after that if they don't go away. His words gave me no solace. I kept thinking of the bugs. 
feeding on me for four to seven minutes at a time for months and months and months. How could I ever sleep in that apartment again? I got rid of my bed and set up camp on my couch. Naively, I thought the poison would protect me. Still, I inspected every inch of the sofa and then brought out freshly washed pillows and a sheet. Surely I was safe. I laid them out, went to get myself a glass of water, and when I came back, I stared a full-grown adult bedbug in the eye. <laughs> the son of a bitch was waiting for me to fall asleep. He wanted to eat me alive. So, for the next few nights, I slept in the hotel with Cam, relationship phobia be damned, with visits during the day to see my cat. Eventually, I graduated to an air mattress, which sucked, but was less painful than the floor, and less dangerous than the rapidly accelerating relationship I seemed to be getting myself into. I gutted my closet, threw out a lot of things, and washed almost all my clothes in hot water. I put the really fancy stuff in plastic bags not to be open till Christmas. Cam helped me go through each LP and sleeve and many of my books, but we found no bugs. I don't get it, I said. How am I still getting bitten? But then over time, the bites began fading away, and then there weren't any new ones. By this time, I was delirious with lack of sleep and easing into a new love. <laughs> Despite my earlier reluctance, I was nervous about being a rebound. I was nervous about being another one of Cam's relationship disasters. Rapid, rapid hormones and Cam's conviction that this would work out had worn me down, and we're now in the thick of it. But our relationship was very dramatic. Highs so high I couldn't see the ground. I love you times a million, he said, forever. He really said stuff like this. And low, so perplexing and devastating, I could barely stand it. Hello, what's the matter this time? I said many times. And in my 30s, I thought, relationships shouldn't be like this anymore. And that's when I noticed that I had fresh bites on my arm. I called the exterminator in a panic. Hatchings, <laughs> Jeffrey said grimly. And he came back and re-sprayed. And then he said to call him in a few weeks if the bites started up again. I bought a brand new mattress, but woke up with three new bites the next morning. Ah. I put double-sided tape at each leg of my bed and washed everything religiously. I don't think you should wash that outfit in hot water, Murray. <laughs> Things got really bad with Cam. He became emotionally distant, and I stopped being rational. I said, I feel like you're about to leave me. And he said, I will be with you forever. Pretty much exactly a week later, he broke up with me. I still have the text from before and after. <laughs> hey, um, I just don't understand, I said. And he said, it's just, we're too different. Like, you don't watch TV, but I watch it all the time. <laughs> this is a true story, you guys. <laughs> we have been friends for a decade, I said. You already knew this about me. Why the fuck did you try so hard to convince me that we should be together? I got rid of every bit of him I could, but some things still lingered. It took me a year to get rid of the bed bugs in my home. A year. Which is three months longer than I lasted with Cam. And that's a long time to be sleep deprived. Thank you.
to talk a little about who the hell I am. So I made comics. Um, this was never supposed to be my career. This was just a hobby. Um, I was supposed to be a novelist, but um, things didn't go out like, that way. It still happened, though. <laughs> um, so yeah, the dream was to be a writer, probably because my dad's dream was to be a writer. He was a lawyer, um, but he still writes when he's retired. Um, I left school early, um, but then out of the fear of um, being a failure of a human being, I just started writing like crazy. Um, and I got a poem published in 1988, which I actually never saw. It never sent me a copy, but I know what happened. It was a, it's a magazine called Blue Rose. Um, I'm sure it was a great poem written by a 15-year-old. Um, and then I was writing short stories and novels, and I got uh, two terrible novels written by the age of 21. Um, but I tried pretty hard to get published, but thank God it never happened because, um, as I've learned, these things follow you around <laughs> forever. Um, so, but I was practicing. Um, I did art a lot, but mostly in my sketchbooks. Um, this is something from, I think, stated 1990. Um, I have a lot of drug-fueled, um, <laughs> inspired, drug-inspired sketches. Um, I was really into the surrealists at that time. Um, I never really read comics. I thought they were all like superhero stuff. Um, and then one day I was with my boyfriend, I think it was early 20s, and we were um, driving to Tahoe from San Francisco, and, and there was this going out of business sale for comics, and he was really into comics, so we went in there, and there were all these comics going for like 20 cents each, but you weren't allowed to open them, and I'm like, oh, what the hell, like the 20 cents, so I bought a whole bunch of them, not thinking I'd like them, but then I discovered Scott Russo's jizz, um, which was essentially the first time I ever read a zine. It was not self-published, it was done by Fantagraphics, um, which is a pretty big alternative, big alternative uh, publisher. Um, but this thing was fucking hilarious. Um, they were, he had some pretty sloppy art and all these personal stories, like this one was about some um, nuns that used to harass him in, in, when he went to school. Um, he'd also write uh, letters to politicians and um, get form letters back and then he would uh, translate, like this is what they really mean. <laughs> so uh, he was freaking hilarious. Um, and I instantly subscribed, and I think I lost all my money because then they, I think they only did like 13 issues, which was very sad, but this was for me. Anyway, um, but so because of this wonderful comic, I got into other comics, um, and but it never really occurred to me to make my own comics until I came across this anthology. Um, that's Phoebe uh, Gwentner's stuff, and uh, well, anyway, with Mary Fleener, who's the little orange one in the middle, who she has a story in this uh, anthology called The Jelly, which is about her hot mess roommate. Um, her stories were hilarious. And this is kind of a sexy cover, but her, her stories weren't very sexy. But they were just funny. Uh, they ranged from stuff about music to her, like, her inspirations. She's also a musician and um, just all sorts of stuff. And I think after, when I was reading this, I thought, this is so good. I want to do stuff like this. I'm like, and I can, I can tell my own story. I have lots of crazy stories. So, um, so then I started writing comics. Um, and this is the first comic I ever did. Um, you can see my, my uh, style changed a little bit over the years. Um, but you can see this is very similar to the sketches I used to do. Lots of 
crazy details, um, but really poor anatomy and stuff like that. Um, and the story is about an underquieted crush. And um, after I did a few things, I went to a comic convention. And I'm like, I should get these published somewhere. I, I love these anthologies. And I think I went to someone at Slave Labor Graphics, and they suggested I um, send something to these people. And I did. And this is the first comic that I had published very shortly after. Um, and so began my love affair for creating work for anthologies. Anthologies got me into comics, and, um, and I still to this day submit um, two things. I've been into actually about 60 anthologies, 62 I think so far. Um, it, it's changed since I wrote my bio on my website. So, <laughs> um, and that's a lot of uh, anthologies. Um, it's a lot of free comics <laughs> to do for people. Um, at the same time, I was also doing um, some self-publishing. This is my comic Estrus, um, which is basically just a personal anthology. Um, and then I also, here's some other um, self-published comics I did. As, as time goes by, I get a little more intricate with, um, with the self-publishing, like here in this previous one. Like those bottom ones are silk screened, and then that middle one with the yellow is just a, a handmade stamp I made. I mean, it's super fun. If you, if you open the, the blue one on the bottom, like there was one page that has me making out with a punk rocker with a rainbow colored mohawk, and I went into, I made hundreds of these zines, and in each one I painted like 12 different colors onto his rainbow hair. It's, it's very dedicated. I, I love doing stuff like that because I love finding a book and opening it and finding stuff like that. Um, and I probably won't stop doing that. Um, in 2005, I got roped into doing this book um, with a woman who became my friend. Um, and it's my first time dealing with a publisher other than as a contributor. I was a co-editor of this book, and I also helped promote and fundraise for it. Um, and it was very, it was a very, um, lessons about what it's like to work with publishers and it wasn't probably the best experience um, and it might have kept me away from big publishers for a while although this was a small publisher it was manic depress um, uh, but you know I, I learned a lot in this and, and it was ultimately a really fantastic book it's a true pet crimes um, yeah, my, my story was the case of the San Francisco dog mauling, um, which was actually written by the editor, Shane O'Leary, and she illustrated a story I did about tigers or something, I can't remember. Um, and then by this point, I was already working on my first book idea, which was eventually turned into Kiss and Tell. I had this idea one day, I mean, and after years and years and years of going, God, if only I had an idea for a book, then maybe I could make a book, but I just couldn't. I never came up with one. And one day I woke up, I'm like, that would be a cool book. And I only had one friend in comics at the time, and I went to him. He was like, he was wrestling super macho comics. And I'm like, what do you think of this book idea? And he's like, no, I don't think you should do that. But I was really into it, so I did it anyway. And um, which I'm glad I did, because I ended up getting an agent and then getting Harper Perennial to publish it. Um, this is my book. And, um, Let's see. So it was. Um, so the book ranges from age zero to twenty-two, and they're like crushes. This guy was my first kiss when I was five. Um, and here's me pretending to kiss a boy. But I guess technically my first kiss was a girl. Um, and 
because I was in my drug fuel days and, and orgies and stuff. Um, so that's my book. I dedicated it to my mom and dad. How sweet. <laughs> Apparently my mom picked it up and I, I told her, like, you don't want to read this. There's this one story about me going down on a guy in high school and like, it was the first time I ever went down on a guy and he had never apparently cleaned behind the balls before, so there was all these dingleberries that were so horrible. Um, so I told her all of this in the hopes that she would never read the book, and um, I think it kept her away for a while, but then she picked it up and she's like, oh no, I don't read this. So yay! <laughs> My dad read it. Lost him, he's great. Um, so after that book came out, I very luckily got invited to do a book tour with Sister Spit, um, just everything. All the stars aligned. It was wonderful. It was a 36-day book tour, and I'm so glad I did because I, I mean, I'm not. I don't think I'm great at public speaking, but like I'd never done it before, really, like just minimally, and I was terrified. And it was really helpful to do, just do it every day for 36 days um, around a lot of wonderful people. Um, so when I got back from the sisters' tour, like it was time to start promoting my book at bookstores, and so I had to speak alone. And I was pretty prepared. Um, interestingly, like I, during the Sister Spit Tour, so I was in the back of the van, there was like seven of us, and I used to get really bad, um, what do you call it, motion sickness. And I went to the doctor and they gave me this little patch to put behind the ear. And so I did that, and it made me a little spacey, but it worked, and I never got car sick. When I came back, um, I took the patch off and just started vomiting so much. And um, so, you know, I called the doctor and he's like, oh, apparently I'm just saying, so you're not supposed to use it for more than three days in a row. 36 days. <laughs> so reverse car sickness. Um, and so, yeah, I had this great reading at the bookstore. It, it went really well, but like right before that, I was like, vomiting in the bathroom and I'm like, hey, can I go on? And it was really, it was kind of great. But you know, what's great is like I lost my car sickness entirely. Like I can totally read in cars now, which is awesome. So if any of you want to get rid of your car sickness, I do recommend this terrible, terrible thing that could happen to you. Um, anyway, so uh, aside from the, the book promoting like in person, I was trying to figure out ways to promote the book. Um, because you know, Harper is a pretty big company, and they have other people coming out with books at the same time. Like Justin Bieber came out with a book the same week as me. And how can I compete with Justin Bieber? So I was looking into the internet and stuff. Um, I've always been headed against internet comics, so I don't like reading things on the internet. So why would I want to make things for the internet? But I did find this uh, site called The Rumpus, and I love the, like, the whole site. Um, they moderate. The comments, and that was probably my biggest fear about doing stuff on the internet is like how mean people can be. And it's not like they take everything mean off, but it's it, but they take off all the trolls and stuff. So that was like first good thing, and then second good thing, they had this column by um, that was anonymous, it was Cheryl Stray doing Dear Sugar, and oh man, like I thought I was writing stuff that was honest, like I didn't know honest until I was reading her and I'm like, I don't know how to do this, I'm going to do what she's doing and I'm going to be on the rumpus and at the time she's anonymous so I was like, I'm going to be on the rumpus and I'm going to make friends with her and she's going to tell me who she is and I can buy her book and it's going to be so awesome. Um, but yeah, that, 
I got an admiration for nice, but generally speaking, I don't do a lot of, um, I try, try to avoid doing work for free. Um, but the rumpus doesn't pay. Um, but despite that, of all the free things I've ever done, the rumpus is probably the best thing I've ever done for my career because I've had so many people find me through there and I've gotten so many paying opportunities through there, but everyone promises you that and I've done a lot of free work and it's never panned out like that. So I generally say no to free work, um, but yes to the rumpus. Um, anyway, this is my column. It was there up for a couple years. Um, and uh, so I did comes to them, and then they also had me do this like this interview with Allison Bethel, and later turned into a zine, um, semi-animated, I mean, uh, illustrated. Um, I was also at the same time doing a bi-weekly comic, or was it a weekly comic? It was uh, reviews in San Francisco of uh, restaurants and places and events and fun things. Um, there's a restaurant review. So they're kind of, it's kind of restaurant review, but there's a little bit of memoir in there. I talk about funny things that happened while I was in the restaurant review conversations. Um, I've since collected that into this scene that I just recently made, even though some of those restaurants aren't open anymore. Um, and there's this, uh, at the same time, I think probably because of my book, I got approached to do comics for this, um, this thing called Tapastic, and they wanted something memoir, but they wanted something funny. And it's actually perfect because the stuff in the rumpus that I was doing was really heavy. Like all this emotionally dark. I mean, that bed bug story is in there, but like that's one of the lighter ones. There's a lot of darker things. And, and I was really depressed all the time because I was constantly dredging up all these like really depressing stories. So this was kind of my antidote, um, the sidewall talking, which is also in the scene now. Um, and the, a lot of the rumpus ones eventually turned into this book, Dragon's Breath and Other True Stories, that came out last fall. Um, and so here, here are some of the stories. This one's about my grandfather, who was my favorite person um, in the whole world when I was little. Um, but then as I, in my 20s, I found, long after he died, I found out that he actually been kind of racist and abusive and terrible. Um, so that's, and that's what opens my book. Um, so it's sort of about kind of dealing with the duality of people or triality or whatever. Um, I remember I was a good person or a bad person or, you know, somewhere in between. Um, this other story is about an acquaintance of mine who was kind of, well, he's kind of a dork. Um, and then he killed himself. And so, I don't know, very, very conflicted about how I felt with him, about him then. He walked into the San Francisco Bay. Um, and then here's a story I had about me partying with this man, Dran Dran. Um, <laughs> I was a huge fan of theirs when I was a preteen, and, um, and then I got invited to this party in my 30s, and I got to meet them all, and it was just really freaking surreal. <laughs> and, um, here's me with it. I stole the drummer's underwear. <laughs> um, Let's see what else. Okay, so my next book coming out is called Turning Japanese, and it's about, it actually starts where um, Kizantel ends, I think I was 22, and it's about um, when I was, I decided that I wanted to learn Japanese and speak to my mom's side of the family for the first time in my life about her as a translator, and I decided to do so, I might um, get jobs at Japanese hostess bars. So, it's really smart. Um, so that was my uh, journey. <laughs> And, um, but you know, so half the book is about 
just a post-bar culture, which I feel has been, it's been written about a little bit, but it's always just like this, it, it, I don't feel like a lot of the writing has been very um, true. It's always sensationalized. Um, but really, it was like working in a restaurant where guys sometimes try to grab your boobs. Very annoying. Um, and it's also about me trying to get in touch with my Asian side and, and all that, because I grew up in a very white neighborhood, um, a white town. Um, right now, um, here's a preview of a graphic novel I'm working on right now that's filling up my days. It's about um, teenagers, and there's an alien abduction. Um, and I think I got like over 200 pages into it, inked, and I think I have 70 something pages to go. So that's what I'm doing with my time. Um, and I've also pretty recently started up this, these databases for cartoonists of color and LGBTQ cartoonists. Um, and that happened randomly, like I was writing an essay about cartoonists of color. Well, not even about that, it was about how to write people of color if you're not one. And I thought I should, you know, I should really consult some cartoonists. I'm like, who are the cartoonists of color? And I'm like, I know a couple. And so I start writing them down. And I think I came up with like 36 or something. And then I asked the internet, and I came up with like 30 more. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot. And like. My handwritten notes, I'm like, oh shit, I put this person down twice, oh, I should put this in the Excel spreadsheet, and then it turned into crazy land, um, and now I've been upkeeping this database that has how many, uh, 805 cartoons of color and counting, and every week I update it. And I also promote, um, and it's very curated, I find my favorites are people who, I mean, I've discovered so many cartoonists because of this. And same with LGBTQ cartoonists, where I'm finding all these people, so I have this Twitter account set up where I just, talk, um, I'll give a sample of their work and talk about them a little bit. Um, so, you know, promoting people of color and rainbow colors and stuff. <laughs> So um, that's the end of my talk, but if, I'd love to answer any questions if anyone has any, um, or we can stick there awkwardly. Thank you. <laughs> I like to um, talk books to sell and, and uh, zines and stuff if you're interested in my take credit cards. Does anyone? Did I do other things? You mean like for work? Like for, for work. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it's really hard to make a living as an artist. There was a period of time where I, um, probably the most ambitious thing was I was making a living off of like, selling paintings in galleries. And I'm really proud of that because it was super hard to do. Um, but I also do writing for video games. And I've been a proofreader and copy editor and serious things. I try to keep it like kind of about writing and art. Um, yeah, so, That's yeah. <laughs> How did you get into writing for video games? How did I get into writing for video games? Um, I had a boyfriend who, wanted, who decided to be a game designer because his friend became a game designer, and then he was a tester, and so I got a job testing. Actually, I had a really cool, lucrative job. I was a sales manager, even though I had a smoke off, but I was selling like, this fancy mathematician's um, fonts. It was, it was like the 90s. <laughs> and uh, I got, yeah, I got really sick of that job. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to test video games, which is actually a terrible job. I mean, it's, it sounds really fun, but it's not. Um, 
But that's how I got into that, and over time, I noticed that the people who were producing video games were the writers. Now they have like writers, and that sometimes I still do that sometimes. Um, but at the time, like the people who sometimes the people who programmed it were writers, and then people who were producing. So I decided to become a producer and so I could write for video games. So that's how I got started. Any anybody else? Yeah. It seems like there's, um, in some of your work, a mix of kind of memoir writing about kind of place and things, as well as, at least in the newer stuff, some things which at least take truth or like your experience and add alien abductions and things like that. Is that something that's, I mean, is, is that, was that an intentional split? Are you still kind of working with? things from your, I use I'm like air quotes, memoir. but like, I mean, yeah. so like all my memoir is, is that's 99% true, but I change like names and stuff, yeah. but I mean like all the events that happen in memoir are completely true. Um, I decided that I, well, I got broke into this YA thing that is, is a long boring story, but like that is not true. Um, I mean, it's inspired by things that happen to me or people I know, but that's something different, but I'm still doing stuff for anthologies and magazines and stuff that are still in memoir. Um, I still have a lot of stories to tell, but um, interestingly, like my, I feel like the way I tell a story from the first book that I came out with, the second book, and the third book has changed drastically, and I'm kind of not sure what to do with that. So I'm kind of shelving that for now, so I don't know what my next book will be about, but luckily I have this graphic novel trilogy to work on, so I'm probably not going to have to worry about doing something new for another 500 years. <laughs> it's a long time. Anybody else? Cool. Well, thank you for coming.